Just a just a clarification. Did you mean taffy being pulled into affinity or toffee? Is that's a that's a isn't that a crisp? I guess you're right. Thing taffy as yep. opposed to taffy. I don't know. Did you want to just say that sentence again, or do you want to just leave it? I'll just leave it. Okay. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Interrogang Podcast, your weekly shot of typography news and notes, where we'll share with you some new type releases and what got us thinking this week in the world of type, design, and creativity. The Interrogang Podcast is an extension of Proof & Co., a website dedicated to the ever-changing landscape of independent typography and bridging the gap between type designers and type consumers through insightful content and research. I'm your host, Joshua Dick, along with Interrogang co-host, the incredibly talented and committed type enthusiast, and the man who taught me how to play the drums, Kyle Reed. How are you doing, Kyle? Hi, Josh. Yeah, pretty good. Good to see you today. You look fresh and relaxed. I did teach you how to play the drums. You huh? did. I insisted yeah. on paying you for those lessons. I believe you charged me $5 a lesson. That's right. The Interrogang podcast is committed to asking lots of questions about things we are curious about, but we are not the authority on the topics discussed here. We hope to serve simply as conversation starters, and hopefully we'll pique your interest in ways that get you thinking about new things in exciting ways, or old things in deeper ways. We will be referring to the Proof & Co. weekly newsletter in this episode, which you can subscribe to at proofco.xyz to use as a visual reference. Here we are in week 12, 2021. Week 12, let's go. Here are some of the highlights of releases. First of all, Colophon Foundry released a Scotch-Roman family of 15 fonts called Selva, complete with Roman, Italic, and an innovative script style. So this is a pretty interesting because the Scotch-Roman world is one rooted in tradition, in forms built from using type in rigorous conditions of newspaper printing and the like. Making a script extension of the Scotch-Roman DNA is kind of like trying to make lizards that glow. Have you ever seen those, Josh? Yes. Not in person, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I said that Glowing so excitedly. Lizards. No, I, I guess, I guess not actually. Yeah, you were, you were on it. Uh, so making a script extension of the Scotch Roman DNA is super weird to me. Uh, in a way, it's a bit otherworldly or strange, uh, but I think Selva actually does a pretty good job and pulls it off. There are certainly some bizarre moments in the script, but yeah, for the most part, pretty cool. Blackletter continues to make a resurgence as every type designer's indulgence and every typesetter's nightmare. Uh, Emeritus from Blaze Type is a high contrast calligraphic black letter chock full of stylistic alternates and swashy tails. It's got a sharp sensibility, definitely leaning on the fracture style of black letter, making the most of that broad nib pen. Uh, but it's also got some original moments, uh, like how the terminals of the strokes taper off into these super thin strands as if it were taffy being pulled into infinity. Uh, it's a really fun uh, face with a upper and lower case that actually jive as well. Um, that's something you don't really see paid very much attention to in 
most modern black letter typefaces. So it's really fun. Uh, and Loose, 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 not sure how to pronounce it, but it's the latest release from CSTM Luz. fonts. Let's go with Loose. Loose it is. Released through Type Network. Um, it's described as a modern closed sans serif typeface. It's the first time I've ever heard that language. A modern closed sans serif typeface with an impressive amount of weights from compressed to extended, from thin to black. Uh, beyond Latin and Cyrillic, loose, loose typefaces, <laughs> loose typeface supports Georgian script, and it comes with the ink traps that actually do trap the ink. So that's all Type Network's language. Um, I think it's a, a, a very strong, striking typeface. Uh, I will note that the widths are probably this family's greatest strength here. The relationships across those widths are handled really, really well. So props to uh, CSTM for that. Stylistically, I'm not a huge fan of its squariness, but I can appreciate when something is done right, and this is it. And yes, there are ink traps in this typeface, uh, but they are not the gratuitously deep ones we've been seeing out there in the world lately. Thank God. Gratuitous, just gratuitous. <laughs> gratuitous ink traps. Lastly, and this is something that will lead to further discussion on the show today, uh, but I wanted to point out that there were a lot of font updates this week too. Pangea from Fontwork has gained uh, some italics. Feliciano type added two additional weights of their sans family Garosa, and Colophon Foundry added extra bold and black weights to their famous Epersu condensed family. Just an interesting thing to note. I can't remember a, a time when there were so many little updates to fonts in one week. It's cool to see foundries taking more of this approach with their already released families. Um, anyway, what about you, Josh? What did you see in the weekly? So in the weekly, uh, you put a link to an article from Indra Kupferschrift that apparently is not a new article, new to me. This isn't new, but it's a explanation of type mm -hmm. genres. It's a quick down and dirty explanation, splitting all the different categories. You have right. serif, sans serif, slab, script, and different subcategories for each, and gives just a quick explanation of, of the history and what the style looks like. I just wanted to say first that this is a excellent resource, I think, for anyone, but particularly someone who is just learning. I, as a type layperson, I just haven't been around enough yeah. different fonts to be able to recall if you're to if you're going to explain something as humanist or slab. I I can have an idea, but I'm not going to know. I'm not going to be able to picture a specific yes. font, and so to have this as a resource is excellent. But it got me thinking about just genres in general in type and how we classify things, and not just in type just how we we want to classify everything, seemingly. And so I, I wanted your opinion, Kyle. In type, do you think it's a, a bad thing if, if a font is difficult to classify? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, especially now that there are so many typefaces being produced uh, and so many new original voices in type design, classification is becoming more and more, one, difficult, and two, almost irrelevant, like, it's easy to constantly come up with new language to describe your typeface uh, if it doesn't fall in an easily describable bucket. 
Well, which is what you said describing Selva a few minutes ago. You said, that's using language I've never heard before. But it got the point across. So is that a good or a bad thing? I, it, it just is what it is. I definitely think there are benefits to classification in type in that it makes you easier to be found. Yes. If someone's searching for a certain look, you want to you want them to know that that's what you are or what you've produced right. so that you can be found. It's like being listed in the phone book. Right. You know that people can find you and you can do business with them. But I'm sure a designer is always aware they don't want to be derivative. You don't want to set out to just make what's already there. Yeah, also a good point. And so my 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 other question to you is, do you think in general type designers are set out with a a genre in mind? In my experience, I think type designers usually have a genre in mind that they're they're getting after. Um, if you're doing a revival, this is certainly true. But with a lot of modern type design, I think the the genre as a starting place is becoming less and less prevalent. So people are just kind of saying, I like the way a letter does this, and maybe I can extend that over an entire entire typeface. Or, you know, I want a typeface for this specific use or purpose, and the genre doesn't really have much relevance there. This is a bit of a digression, but I always hated the idea of, of typecasting as an actor. <laughs> I was once, I was once, uh, I went in for a audition for nerdy white guy. It was an, it was a commercial that was calling for a role that was nerdy white guy. <laughs> Perfect. Oh my gosh. One might think, um, I didn't, I didn't get the part, but I did get cast as an extra in the commercial. Okay. And when I saw the director the next day, he said that they, he said to my face that they needed someone a little bit more cool. <laughs> no, he said that to your face. <laughs> <laughs> so I was not cool enough to play nerdy white guy. <laughs> you were certainly typecasted uh, in a very bad way. <laughs> this is this is certainly a digression. I just wanted to air my dirty laundry. Oh, that's great. Actually, typecasting is one of those terms that comes from typography that not a lot of people know. Um, in the same way as uh, like out of sorts or yeah. All right, Kyle, let's move on. You were talking about this idea that we're seeing this week a lot of type updates, mm -hmm. a lot of font updates right. from some big foundries this week. And we're seeing a lot of updates these days. And so it got us thinking about the evolution of a font and how when you release a font, mm -hmm. There's this sense of finality that it is out into the world. It's on its own, but that we're seeing a lot of uh, designers go back, do updates, do re-releases. And so we wanted to talk about the core question of should fonts yeah. be made to evolve? Yeah, it's a big question. And so I wanted to hear your your general thought just on that on that topic. Yeah, I think... Fonts historically have not been able to evolve. They were cast in metal. Once digital type came through, it turned that equation on its head. You could edit the ones and zeros to be, you know, slightly different and re-release it. They don't have to 
you don't have to deliver a case of lead type to somebody's print shop. <laughs> um, so uh, we haven't really had that much time yeah. in the grand scheme of things to understand what is evolution in typography. Uh, to me, this question of can or should fonts evolve, uh, it's really a question not of absolutes, but just of degrees of variety. I think there are a lot of different ways fonts can evolve. And I personally welcome the, the future of fonts evolving. I think it's a little staid to say, hey, here's just one product. Let's, you know, you give me money, kind of done. It's convenient for the type designer because they can move on to other things. But uh, it doesn't create much of a relationship between you and your customers. It doesn't create a uh, sense of evolving culture around the typeface. Um, and evolution basically gives typefaces the ability to react to changing contexts in the future. Uh, all of this stuff is possible. In general, are these changes, are these updates more just adding families to the typeface or is it structural changes to what has been made before? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, if you ask the question, how does evolution play out in the type world? Um, I mean, it happens in a lot of different ways. There is certainly the uh, adding styles, expanding the family, like Pangea this week added italics, uh, Colophon added two new weights to a family. I think that's a really great way to evolve the offering as a foundry. You can say, hey, well, we know you bought into this before. Here are just more options for you to, uh, to be able to come back to us and indulge in this family some more. I think that's a really great way to evolve your typeface. Um, I, I think that some of the most interesting stuff around the evolution of typefaces is, is happening with future fonts that has evolution at its core where you release a typeface that's not necessarily done. It can be a work in progress. And you evolve the typeface over time through versions that people buy into. Well, you're really watching the sausage be made on future fun. <laughs> Which is cool. I mean, you can kind of almost interact with it, right? It becomes somewhat academic. Yeah. You, know, you can see the changes. You can say, oh my gosh, I, I like how this typeface is going. Right. Can you make it? more of like a text-ready version. Um, and you can actually have an impact in the evolution. The evolution becomes community-based. Yes. Which, of yeah. course, is not going to appeal to all designers with all their projects. But the fact that that exists is that's right. a very neat outlet. Yeah. So I think that's a, a really cool strain of evolution in the type world. Um, I, I'm curious what's going to happen as far as evolution in the future, uh, you know, beyond what we know now, like, um, you know, can we make responsive type typefaces and, you know, have that be an evolution? How, can typefaces grow physically over time? I think that there's a, a lot of room to, to grow and explore there. I suppose one could argue that variable fonts is evolution in the moment, mm -hmm. giving the user the option to alter or grow or evolve. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Kind of using uh, the technology evolves around the, the fonts themselves. Uh, and that can add a lot of possibility into what kind of fonts are made. It seems to me that type is so tied to 
your clients and marketing and what its purpose is. Uh, obviously, there will be typefaces designed for general use, but mm-hmm. oftentimes if you're doing a, a custom font, you're reacting to the needs. And so I wonder about the question is when you update a, a typeface, is that response to a need or is it just a desire, an artistic desire? If it's a need, it's it's yeah. responding to supply and demand. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. The supply and demand side of things. I think from the Foundry perspective, uh, constantly evolving your product offering and capitalizing on new technologies. Proxima Nova, um, recently with Mark Simonson, a couple of weeks back, right. released Proxima Vara, which is just a variable font version, but it's an evolution of that font's story. And that I think that was more of a need for that famous typeface that's used prolifically to keep up with how type designers are or uh, graphic designers are using typography. Um, but yeah, there's also a, a desire side being like, I don't really like the way I drew that A 10 years ago. Maybe I'll re-release it and add in all these other cool things as well in the process. That topic then comes to why not just start over again? If you're constantly going back to what you've done before, are you stagnant? Right. I do think it's also an issue of fonts are usable. Yep. We've talked about this. We've touched on this in our now one and a half episodes of <laughs> is is type art. And we will yeah. someday do a seven-part series on that. A recurring question. There is a difference, I think, that type is used as a tool as opposed to a painting is a piece of artwork. Mm-hmm. And Beautiful thing, right? if you paint a painting and... 10 years later think, ah, I'm going to put a mustache on it. Yeah. <laughs> you're why not just do something else with a mustache? You're altering the work. It seems wrong. It feels wrong. That's right. It feels dirty. Whereas a font, people are using it. And if over time that use needs to be something different, it makes sense that you can and should go back and change it. I would say ultimately this comes down to as with anything it's how you evolve that matters. Remake is different, similar but different to evolution. Right. Remake versus evolution. In typography, what does that mean? Yeah, that's really it's a really good point. Uh that's a that's a big distinction, I would say, in any creative output. Are you just rehashing or are you taking something that's climbing out of the primordial ooze and becoming something new? Yeah, from a business standpoint, too, I think capitalists have done this for for centuries almost now, um, where they just take their product and rehash it, repackage it, and put it out there. That's not evolution. You know, I think no, that, that feels lazy. Yeah, that's pretty lazy. There is a new mentality that needs to be adopted when it comes to evolving typography or evolving any product, really. Um, it's what are you reacting to? Why are you doing that, you know? Right. I did want to mention that uh, once upon a time, we asked this as a Twitter poll to our our followers. Right. We asked a question, then we phrased it as, as times and technologies change, is it necessary for a type foundry to update their already released fonts to keep up with the times? Which I find it interesting that we we made it a, a keep up with the times question. Stay in, stay in hip. 
<laughs> Staying cool, man. Can't be a nerdy white guy your whole life. And <laughs> the answers we offered were uh, a font is a product of its time and should be left alone. Mm-hmm. Or updates are essential fonts are living things and should evolve with time. And we just gave the two options. So we really made right. people Pick answer. Uh, 70% said that updates are essential, that evolution and adaptation are required and that fonts are living things. Yeah, that's a surprisingly large number. I would have thought that would have been more 50-50, but um, it's, I also think it's reassuring that there are a majority of people that see evolution as a necessity or something interesting to play with in typography. I, that's reassuring to me. And especially in the 21st century, evolution is uh, almost a necessity in my book. And we all could stand to evolve and adapt. <laughs> Be a glowing lizard. Sometimes. I know my serifs are drooping. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta lock it up. You gotta evolve out of that. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes your lizards just gotta glow, man. Glowing lizards gonna glow. Well, I think we're done. <laughs> Yeah, let's take it to the outro. <laughs> oh, good. That's it for this week's Interrogang. Special thanks to Andrew Spheris, our editor and all things tech master. Original music featured throughout this episode was composed by Andrew Spheris as well. The Interrogang podcast can be found on our website, proofco.xyz slash podcast. As well as Spotify and coming soon, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. If you want to receive more type news and notes, head to our website and subscribe to the weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter at proof underscore end underscore co or email us at hello at proofco.xyz. If you have any questions or curiosities or thoughts on what we discussed this week, or if your lizards aren't glowing like they used to, we'd love to hear from you. As always, thanks for being a part of the Interrogang. We'll see you next week. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Nice job, Josh. Okay, so black letter continues to make a resurgence as everybody's tight. <laughs> Josh, you ruined it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm having too much fun. Okay.